Hi, and welcome back to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is our 23rd video cast and our 13th podcast for the week ending March 27th, 2020. I'd like to kick it off with um, a little thank you. Shout out to Ellie Terrett for putting me on Liz Clayman's show this week. Basically, I was asked about gold. Um, gold, I'm kind of agnostic. Um, I like to buy high-quality companies. But basically, I was saying while there's an expect inflation expectation on gold uh, in the short term, and it could go higher with all the um, borrowing and spending we're going to do and the Fed balance sheet expansion, um, in the intermediate term, you have to look at who are the major holders. So the largest holders, uh, you have Italy, Germany, Spain, Russia is a major holder, and all of these countries are going to be selling off their reserves to pay for their funding program and their aid packages, stimulus packages to deal with coronavirus. So that, that'll be some overhead supply, uh, and I don't know the timing of when that comes on, but um, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, the other thing we discussed was, you know, and we'll get into in, in the uh, video cast this week, is, is buying high-quality companies on sale because they produce something. They produce income. They can grow over time, and regardless of what inflation comes, you know, Warren Buffett always had a saying, if the currency goes to zero and we trade in seashells, you know, Coca-Cola will command the most seashells of any company in that space. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what we transact in, the value provided to the marketplace by these large high quality companies will continue to grow over time. So uh, so that was a lot of fun. That was uh, from Skype. You know, we're all adjusting, and that was that was terrific. I got to get the lighting down a little bit better, but uh, we got that fixed. Then I went on CGTN with um, – that was just an amazing experience with Elaine Reyes on Tuesday night as well. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, wanted to thank Zaina Al-Shaib for putting me on that show and then Ellen Chang for including me in her Kiplinger article. Here we just discussed, um, this was about a week ago, and my quote was basically, if we can see cases peaking in the next three to six weeks and the stimulus package is large enough to hold people over, which it was, it exceeded expectations over $2 trillion, we may be very near a bottom. And I think this quote was last week when we were down over 33 34% um, right now. And and the point I was making was, yeah, the news will get worse, but the market has already discounted a tremendous amount of that pain already. We saw a little bit of a bounce back this week. We'll discuss that in further detail moving forward. Now, I did also put the caveat, if the virus goes on beyond what we've seen in China in terms of time, then we could certainly drop more, 5%, 10%, maybe more if it drags on. Uh, but that's a lower probability. No way to perfectly handicap it uh, unless you know what the case curve is going to look like. But regardless of what the market does in coming weeks, I see opportunity on a company-by-company company basis. And I'm now nibbling on each down day and sitting tight on each green day. So we don't chase up. We only buy down. Um, and uh, so what was needed for a big turnaround, we got the stimulus package. Obviously, the Fed is pedaled to the metal. We do, it, it will be really, really helpful if we get an antiviral or a treatment for uh, approved for severe cases. 
they started the 10,000 unit test in New York on Tuesday. So based on the successful results in France and um, there was some smaller studies done in the Midwest that showed anecdotal success with the combination of uh, zithromycin, the ZPAC, and uh, hydroxychloroquine, the malaria drug. Uh, and there's a doctor in New York who gave it to 500 patients, and he's showing really positive anecdotal results. He also adds zinc because it was in an NIH study. You can uh, Google that. Uh, if that if if we're showing by Monday, hopefully we'll start to get results by Sunday Monday. What they're seeing in the first five six days of the hopefully ten thousand people started using it in New York, that could be a game changer. Because if that happens, uh, basically I think what'll happen is they're going to just say anyone that is at risk above sixty, uh, stay home for the next two months, and anyone below who you know not at risk. Um, Take your temperature every day. The minute it goes above 100, go get this stuff. Because the thing that we found with all these medications, particularly this combination that they're testing, is that the sooner you take it, the higher the efficacy. So if you nip it in the bud right out of the gate, the minute that temperature goes above 100, 101, get on the the combination, uh, and that would just be phenomenal if if it proves to be safe and efficacious. And, and again, we're going to know a lot more in coming days, which will be exciting. The other point was uh, I, OPEC Plus reverses its decision and cuts production. That's going to be critical for the credit markets. I can't emphasize it enough. They cut out the, uh, as far as I could tell as of yesterday, the $3 billion to buy from the strategic for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was cut out of the stimulus bill, which was just completely stupid. But um, it's, and why it's stupid is simple. Number one, it would save a quarter million jobs in the oil patch. N uh, number two, it would help us retain our oil independence. And number three, uh, 2009 and 2016, we saw what happened. The Chinese got the bargain of a lifetime. When oil dropped into the 20s, they were the big buyers that stepped in and put a floor under the market, and they loaded their reserves. Uh, and that's a huge economic advantage. So we had an opportunity to add 77 million barrels at about 20, 25 bucks. And by the way, President Trump likes low oil prices. So guess what would have happened next year when the market rebalanced and WTI was back over $50, $60? He would dump it back on the market, make the taxpayers $3, $4 billion on a double, and hold the prices down when they started to get high, which would also be beneficial. But um, apparently Congress didn't want that, made too much sense to buy low and help sell high. So now the only play to uh, salvage our energy independence and salvage a quarter million plus and the ancillary jobs, it's probably a million, two million all, when all is said and done, all the people that serve the oil patch, uh, is to strong arm or start to uh, work with Saudi Arabia and Russia. And if they don't yet realize why it's in their interest to cut production in the short term into declining demand, then perhaps sanctions are in order. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out, out in coming weeks. I think the administration's initial plan from what I could see how they were signaling when Trump said we'll uh, discuss that with them at the right time. I think what he was hoping to do is get the $3 billion from this bill, buy 77 million barrels at 20 bucks before he pushed the price up, and then lean on Russia and Saudi to cut 
so that you know our security would be uh, addressed first. We were able to get that oil at a discount price, but now that that's out of the cards, um, you know, we'll just have to go straight to uh, to working with them. So um, that's where that is. So it's not off the table, but it's l lower probability. And then we obviously need a vaccine by hopefully fall or winter, which would be a really uh, aggressive timeline. So again, thanks for Ellen Chang for including me in your Kiplinger article. Everyone should check that out. You can find it at Kiplinger or you can just find the link at the website under featured on up here and then it'll take you to the Kiplinger site. A couple Twitter tweets I wanted to cover today um, that I found uh, really interesting. Tom McClellan put something out uh, yesterday. He just basically charted uh, quantitative easing, which is now unlimited. The Fed is basically backstopping every asset class with the exception of um, equities so far, but I think they're moving into ETFs, which will, um, I mean, fundamentally by buying um by buying bonds, mortgage-backed security, asset-backed security, it pushes that money further on in the risk curve, which supports equities indirectly. But they may even go as far as supporting them directly. Bank of Japan has bought ETFs and REITs for years, so uh, that could be the next step. I will say, uh, so anyway, uh, it just kind of shows how when they got off the pedal here, what happened, and then when they got back on the pedal, what happened stabilized, we got a rally without any support, and then they leaned off. And this is when I got really critical uh, about the Fed, you know, how they worked day and night to uh, for two years to choke off growth, and then they finally did. Um, I will say there's absolutely nothing to be critical of. I would say that right now, the actions that the uh, first off, I would say the most valuable player is Steven Mnuchin. We should all be really grateful that he's the Secretary of the Treasury right now. Number one, he was, uh, I know you can't even remember back to the China trade deal, but he was the voice of reason that, that was really influential in getting that done. I know there were many actors involved, Kudlow uh, and, um, and others, but uh, Steven Mnuchin knows his stuff and he's just to get this deal done and what he's been able to accomplish in the last week and a half and working with chair powell who has done an about face uh, alongside his other governors and many of whom you've seen on tv you had bullard you had kashkari these guys have acted in record time they learn the lessons from the crisis and they're getting ahead of the curve uh so we couldn't be more blessed to have Secretary Mnuchin, and right now, Fed Chair Powell has really stepped up to the plate and done phenomenal things in the credit markets, fighting against, uh, with wind at his face, with uh, with energy being so battered due to the Russia and Saudi surprise decision. But um, don't be surprised if that reverses, though, because that's what happened in 2016. They balked on cuts, and then they flipped. So, uh, you know, the Russians trying to put the shale producers out, uh, that's a that's a fool's errand because unless they, the assets aren't going to go anywhere. What's going to happen is private equity is going to go in after they quote unquote bankrupt. Private equity will come in, buy it for pennies on the dollar, have them debt free and be able to produce until the cows come home because they won't have any debt. So the best play for Russia is to keep these companies in business as zombies over debt laden, uh, capital constrained, 
uh, and uh, but alive because once the ownership transfers, the production is going to go through the roof. Right now, they have so much debt; they they have a li you know they're limited on what they can invest each year to grow production, and that's a good thing for Russia once demand picks up. But apparently, they haven't figured it out yet as their economy declines and they have to sell off their gold reserves because no one will lend to them anymore. They're going to start getting credit downgrades. They'll come to their senses and do what's in their interest. Um, uh, or they won't. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, the Russians can certainly withstand a lot of uh, poverty. They did it for 50 some odd years with communism. So uh, we'll see if that holds true in, in uh, the era of social media when they see how the rest of the world lives. Um, you can tell I don't feel strongly about that one. <laughs> Nonetheless, and then Tom Lee put out this great tweet. I always like to see his stuff. Um, he basically showed since 1920, 10 declines of greater than 30%. This one was 35 peak to trough. And the time required to regain half the losses equals half the time of the decline. So the 35% 30, the decline we had this time took six weeks. So his anticipation is on average, it should take three weeks to get back up to 2,800. We made huge strides toward that this week. Um, so you can just get this data and see for yourself all of the crashes and how they resolved over time. The other thing I wanted to say about this that was interesting, there is a um, hyper-confident chorus of folks who are certain that we're going to retest the lows. And that's not without precedent. There's no question that that happens many times. Um, but it's also not guaranteed. And we had a similar course in December of 2018, and we just went straight, straight up and climbed the wall of worry and never looked back. And so many people, by the time they got on board, the move was already made. I mean, you know, the, the move off the bottom to the top was like 42, 43%. Um, but, you know, 20 almost 30% of it was made in the first four weeks and everyone was waiting for the next shoe to drop and it never did. So uh, be open to all different possibilities. I think based on the consensus that we're going to go back and retest the lows means one of two things in terms of what's the maximum pain for the market. That's what the market is designed to do, cause them inflict the most pain to the most amount of people. And uh, based on the consensus to retest the lows, I would say either we blow past the lows, which is a possibility. Uh, but I think also potential is the lows are in, and that's going to really upset a lot of people who weren't buying last week and buying on down days consistently over the last week and a half or so, just starting to buy high-quality companies. And now we've had this 20-some-odd percent bounce and maybe you get a 3 or 4% pullback, or it sucks people back in short and then continues to just grind higher, not giving a, people a chance back in after a lot of them sold uh, in the drama last week when people are on TV, scared, you know, really uh, um, scared. So um, I would just say no one can call the bottom. I'll just say what I've been saying for the last week and a half, and we'll cover that. I've been buying the highest quality companies that are down more than the indices, 40, 50, 60% that have yields that have been around for decades and are going to be around for decades more. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll go through them, but they're, you know, they're, they're no brainers. What Wells Fargo down 52% peak to trough yield 7%, Cisco 35%, 3.8% uh, 
50% yield. United Technologies was down 56% when I was talking about it on TV, 3.7% yield. Uh, JP Morgan down 42%. It, they've had a huge bounce today. So 4.3% uh, uh, yield. Uh, Pfizer was down 27%, 4.7% yield. Coke I was talking about on, um, I think it's earliest, yeah, Tuesday was down 40%, 4.4% yield. So there's a lot of opportunity there. So if we do go back and test those lows, like, you know, the majority of people are convinced we will, then, then, uh, have a buy list, you know, that this could be interesting. So, um, that is that the alternative we're going to cover as well, uh, is what if you go lower than retesting the lows and, and we'll take a look at that. Josh Brown put out a tweet this week. I also thought was really interesting and helpful. Uh, companies with insider, actually not this week today, uh, companies with insider buying outpacing selling. Uh, he had talked about this once or twice, either on his show, uh, the uh, CNBC show or on Twitter, um, he, where are all the insiders buying? And we put out daily insider buying, but uh, to his point, it really did pick up quite a lot this this past week, and you're seeing it here. So here was a bottom, here was near, you know, starting to form a bottom, here again, starting to form a bottom. So the smart money is is starting to load the boat. This is the ratio of buyers to sellers. It's uh, so uh, this is this is really helpful and something you should check out all right next let's see here we want to move on to the article of the week and that is the luke combs beer never broke my heart stock market and sentiment results uh for those of you who've been following me for a while you know that i'm a country fan i also like rap by the way but maybe we'll get into that in another article it's not a normal combination but uh i grew up in jersey so you'd be amazed uh of of the um different exposures we we get nonetheless um what we're talking about here is i said on thursday morning before the jobs report initial jobless claims that we're about to enter a period of bad news new new cases of coronavirus will continue to go up along with unemployment in the short term, you know, and I made the joke if 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 I had told you three months ago that the market would rally if we only had 750,000 or a million initial jobless claims this week, uh, you would you would have thought I was crazy that we'd rally on a number like that because the highest ever was 700,000 in 1982, albeit the population was smaller back then. Um, but that was the case, and you know, it was a. The estimates were all over the table, one to four million, and we put that in before the number came out. But people were so pessimistic and expecting such a horrible number that it was a an instance of sell the rumor because you short the rumor, buy the news, and that's exactly what took place. Um, and you had a monster short covering rally, and then of course you had some people chasing uh, chasing that towards towards the end of the day. So. Um, what I was basically, the point I was trying to make is that 
The bad news is more bad news is coming. The good news is the stock market's already discounted a ton of this short-term economic pain. A 35% peak to trough is really discounting a lot of this pain. It could get way worse if the case curve does not follow China, Singapore, South Korea, parts of Japan, etc. But I think we, number one, uh, learned a lot from their experiences uh, that that's for sure. And number two, once we got serious about it, the way, the speed at which we were able to mobilize activity has been second to none. And we might have a tailwind with a treatment. And again, we won't know for the next few days, but we're hopeful on that front. We'll see what happens. So um, basically, Luke Holmes, uh, for those of you who don't know the song, you can go ahead and play it there. Uh, he says, it takes one hand to count the things I can count on, no, there ain't much man that ain't ever let me down. Long neck, ice cold beer never broke my heart. So uh, expect, you know, as earnings come out, as the case count come out, as the employment numbers come out, you know, this weekend, you're going to see it all over the news. You know, depending on which stations you watch, they're going to be saying 3.3 uh, million initial jobless claims you know, worse than the depression, and you're going to hear depression all weekend long, okay? D depending on the stations, that's what they're going to do. And what the problem with that is it's going to scare a lot of people out of their savings. And, um, you know, people like you, people like me, pe some of the smarter uh, uh, value players that are out there that, that you see or just investors, experienced people, you're, you're seeing more and more of it. They're going to be on, uh, the ones benefiting from people getting scared, okay? Just like they were last week. It's going to happen in coming days and coming weeks. These co companies are going to go on, go back on sale. People are going to be scared. There's going to be bad news. And that's when you have to be ready. And that's when you have to have courage. James Stewart wrote a really phenomenal article in the New York Times that I posted on my uh, 10 key reads for Friday. You can look it up on the website. And he kind of walked you through his emotions. And this is a seasoned, really smart guy. I, I love watching him when he comes on TV. Just really thoughtful, sensible, rational guy. And he, he wrote a phenomenal article about the emotions he was going through, knowing all this stuff. He's been through the cycles. He, he knows all this. And he's buying down. He's doing the right thing. Don't get me wrong. So, But that, that might be helpful to help you relate to his thinking process as as we were going through the volatility in past weeks and how he kind of worked himself through it. So really helpful article, really phenomenal journalist. Uh, definitely check, check out James Stewart in the uh, New York Times. Okay, so um, the uncertainty will continue. The D word will be thrown around like crazy. And how are we dealing with this? And we, we covered it, it a bit at the beginning. Um, the key takeaway, this is the other point. So we emphasized with everyone calling for a retest, it probably means one of two things. Either one, we don't get it and we just kind of grind a little bit sideways here and then keep climbing up and really upset a lot of people who weren't buying last week or we rip past those lows. You know, maybe we'll get a whole slew of really bad news and, uh, that the market's not expecting and then, uh, you go, you know, five or ten percent plus below the lows, but it doesn't really matter. And what I mentioned in this Fox segment, besides buying quality companies and Coke and J and J and all that stuff, is if you bought in October or November of two thousand and eight, 
by March 2009, you looked silly because the market went down another 10 to 20% more depending on where you added in fall of 2008. Even if you added after Lehman collapsed, uh, the market still went down another 10 or 20%. So you looked silly, but by June of 2009, you looked like an absolute genius. The market rallied 43% off the bottom and put you deeply in the green from your white knuckle buys in late 2008. So that's the key reason you don't want to buy everything all at once and go recklessly all in like you know where the bottom's going to be. No one does. But if you're buying really high quality stuff that's marked down 40, 50, 60%, pays you a yield, balance sheet's solid, um, and you just hold it. No, you know, Lee Cooperman emphasized, you know, I thought it goes without saying, no margin, obviously, and just hold it for the long term. You got to take a one to three year view. Maybe it'll be less. Maybe we'll have a quicker rebound. But, uh, you know, even in the 1987 33% correction, uh, you, you know, it took a year and a half for the general indices to get back up to new highs, but individual quality stocks ripped higher a lot sooner. You can take a look at, at some of those as well. Uh, there's all kind of analogs, but the point is these are opportunities, not get, not guarantees. That's life, right? So, um, But if you have a long enough horizon, you know that a year, two years from now, Coca-Cola is not going to sell 40% per, uh, less Coca-Cola two years out than they did last year. J.P. Morgan is not going to be 42% smaller two years out than they are today. Uh, 30% of people, uh, people are not going to use 30% less medication from Pfizer or AbbVie than they did last year. Uh, United Technologies business is not going to be 50% less in two years than it was last year. So uh, Wells Fargo is not going to be half the bank it was two years out than it was last year. It might be 30% greater than it was last year a few years out. So uh, that's what we emphasized. And the Warren Buffett saying, I think, really nips it in the bud here. And everyone's waiting for his editorial and his all, his all clear sign. He's probably waiting for a treatment drug before he writes it. But, <laughs> or he's buying hand over fist. I can't wait to see his filings in, in 40, 45 days. But by then it might be too late. And as Warren Buffett says, if you wait to hear the robins start singing, it's already spring. And the point there is, if you wait for the good news, you've already missed it. So you have to nibble when it's darkest and everyone else is selling uh, if you want the best deals. If you want certainty, that's fine, but you're going to buy it up 20 30%, which is quite okay because looking out 10 years from now, not only will we be at new highs, we'll be significantly higher. Um, but the real deals, you know, if you buy if you buy a company, I can't emphasize that, you know, you buy something like Wells Fargo that was down 52%. When that recovers, whether it takes six months or a year or three years or five years, that's a 100% gain on a 50% discount. So plus you're getting paid dividends. Even if they cut the dividend in half and you're getting three and a half percent to wait, opportunities like this don't come around all of the time. Uh, could things get worse if the case curve gets out of control and we have to shut down longer? Yeah, but it's it's lower probability. And that's why you don't if you if you knew with certainty how things were gonna go, you'd go all in two times levered. And anyone who does that is a maniac and might get lucky, but it might also get carried out in a stretcher. And that's the first thing my hedge, first hedge fund boss taught me. He goes, you know what? One thing I can guarantee you, they'll never carry me out of here in a stretcher. And, you know, he was he was right. And, you know, th this was a guy who made a couple hundred million bucks, 
smart guy, always thoughtful guy, and um, and that's how he played the game. You know, he bought quality when it was on sale, but he never used margin, never levered up, never put all of his eggs in one basket and overweighted, you know, one name that would blow up and destroy his career. He just played the game down the fairway, 200, 225 yards, straight down, hit the ball again, play for par, and you win over time doing that. So, um, you know, we're not talking about chasing high momentum, high beta stocks and, you know, looking to uh, conquer the world. We're looking to buy things that are, right now in this environment, that'll come later when everything stabilizes. But for now, it's the highest stayed, boring, solid companies, been around for decades, will be around for decades to come. Okay, on CGTN, um, I, it was mainly talking about the stimulus package. And you can click there to watch it. Um, also had to work on the lighting. I think I've got that fixed now, but uh, nonetheless, thanks Elaine Reyes for that. Uh, the basic thing that I talked about there was the size of the stimulus, how it would help businesses. You know, you, basically for small businesses, if you keep your employees, if you show that you keep your employees on payroll, even if they can't do anything for the next month or two, the government will give you a loan for two and a half times your monthly payroll. And at the end of the period, when you show you kept people on or rehired the ones you've recently fired, um, they will forgive the loan 100%. So some businesses are going to make out better if this thing is done in four to six weeks uh, or if people are working remotely and still having some level of productivity. Um, you know, I have a monthly poker group in town we've been going they've been going for 15 years i've been with them for about seven or eight years and we did it by zoom and an app it was pretty cool you know and the key thing is you know they're in all different businesses and what they're saying is you know yeah they're not they're not at 100 percent, but a lot of businesses are still able to be at 50 70 80 percent virtually not obviously not the service in the front facing businesses but um the businesses that take advantage of some of this stimulus uh, that plus the money that's going directly to workers. A lot of families are getting, you know, 1200 per adult, 500 per kid, family of four, that's $3,400 plus they may still be working uh, or they're furloughed and their time got cut, but they're going to get that check. And if this goes on, you're going to get more checks. So net net, I think hopefully uh, most people will be made whole, if not better than whole, and then you've got all this stimulus. So the math, let's just do round numbers. $20 trillion economy, GDP. Let's say you get a 20% uh, contraction over a quarter and a half. Call it a trillion, trillion and a half dollar contraction. We've got up $2 trillion plus. I think it's 2.3. I haven't looked at it today. I know that there were a couple tweaks. But let's call it two trillion. It extends to six trillion because the Fed can leverage the portion that's available for loans for business from 400 and change billion to four trillion. So six trillion—that's nearly a third of a year GDP. So hypothetically, the pothole—if the pothole was for four months of no work and no going—they've authorized enough money to fill that pothole. Six trillion dollars of lost growth lost production uh, and it's not that big because some people are producing from home i've been giving people business and i'm sure many of you have 
Um, it, you know, for some people, okay. So what I'm saying is you've got two to $6 trillion that's going to be hitting at the exact time when demand is simultaneously picking up. If the case curves are anything like Korea, South, uh, South Korea, Singapore, China, parts of Japan, etc. So what could happen is you've in effect overstimulated. So you not only get a rebound, but by late 2020, you've got growth well beyond expectations because beyond the 6 trillion, by the way, the Fed has increased its balance sheet over a billion dollars since August. And more than half of that's come in the last week and a half. So you've got call it max 7 trillion in the system. What if you're only down for a month, which would be like a 10% contraction in a quarter, which is 500 billion. And you've got 7 trillion going into the economy of liquidity, direct payments, business loans, expansion, etc. I mean, you know, you could accidentally wind up with the GDP numbers that everyone was hoping for of three, four, five, six percent, you know, a year out. So that's the optimistic scenario. The pessimistic scenario is, you know, it goes a little sideways like Italy and it takes longer than expected. But I think the amount of money they've already authorized could cover a lot of work, a lot of the worst case scenario. And that's why we're thinking about how we're thinking. It's like, well, more bad news is going to come. Yeah, I know. And the market's discounted a ton of that. And some of these companies have discounted the worst case scenario. And that, that's kind of the end of the article here. So the catalysts I was looking for were uh, the stimulus we got, the Fed backstopping all assets we got. Hopefully we get the positive test results from hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. You know, knock on wood, we'll see. The earlier people take it, the better the results that I've seen anecdotally. Uh, they're probably going to be giving it to s uh, severe people first in the test. So, you know, it might not be as great as expected, but but we'll see day by day. The OPEC we covered and the vaccine we covered. There's the Fed balance sheet as of yesterday morning. I think it's higher now. Okay, so what do we have to look forward to if we can get this under control the way China did? You know, they're 85, that's a, as of March 20th, they're 85% back to work in China. This is from Bloomberg. Uh, Disney's reopening their Shanghai Park. St Starbucks reopened their stores. Nike's showing increased demand. Apple reopened their stores. Yum China is opened. That's Taco Bell and KFC have opened 95% of their restaurants. Uh, so that's mainland China. Boom. This is South Korea. Boom. This is Italy, which uh, this was as of a uh, few days ago. Uh, this is this is on the right side of the curve. I don't know where we are today, but uh, it's going in the right direction. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We hope it's a short tunnel. Okay, now on to the shorter term stuff. The sentiment results. Here's the thing in the back of my mind for the people who have the bearish thing, not the retest, the ones that think we're going way lower, is that we didn't flush out the bulls in this um 35 percent correction crash uh i would have liked to seen the bullish percent go down to the low 20s and we never quite got that we did get the bearish percent rip over 50 so that is an extreme but this is just something in the back of my mind to keep an eye on okay you see we didn't get down to 20 
like these other lows, which is just weird. You know, their survey, I think, is only a few hundred people. So there might have been, you know, they might have been surveying like Wednesdays might have been massive up days and people might have gotten more bullish before their midnight deadline. Uh, but it's worth watching. The fear and greed started to thaw. It went up from five to 17. Uh, this is also bullish in my view. You know, active managers are down to 10% equity exposure. You know, if this continues, you know, maybe we grind sideways and keep going. They're going to just have to rip into equities because um, they're so underweight right now. So we'll see how that goes, whether we retest or take out the lows. But if we keep clawing up, they've got a problem and they're going to have to chase up, which is bullish. Um, message is the same as last week, slowly adding to those stocks and sectors, which are nearing valuation levels, which we would define as pricing in at or near the worst case scenario. Most stocks do not yet meet this measure as the worst case is unlikely to materialize. But for those that do, we're adding and will continue to do so. And we gave you the names, not recommendations. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. Read the terms at the top, uh, not advice in any way. Now, the other thing that I emphasized last week in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey, I put out a, sur um, a survey. By the way, today on, uh, I saw a headline from Bloomberg that said this week their bull bear indicator got down to zero, which is an extreme buy signal for Bank of America. Um, last week they were saying it's a buy, but you know there might be more to go, um, which was this Tuesday before we had that Thursday low. So now it's to zero, which means they would say back up the truck. That, that's from Bank of America. The other thing that I liked last week, and I emphasized on the video cast, investment into banking stocks was at the lowest level since July of 2016. And I said, see below what happened to bank stocks and financials the last time the allocation was this low. That was June of 16. July of 16, look what happened. You basically had a double over the next 18 months in bank stocks. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to do the same, but I was pounding the table. You can listen to last week's video cast on bank stocks, and here's what happened this week. They're up 20%. Okay, so now they're consolidating. Do they go and retest? I don't know, but I'll add more if they do. But um, but here's, here's what happened, 20% move uh, since last Friday. So... Um, all right, so that's bank stocks. Next, and the reason, by the way, I made that case also was that last year, the best time to buy bank stocks was in August, right after the yield curve inverted and everyone was dumping them right here. And you had this monster move into year end uh, over 20, 25%. So we have a similar type of overweight sentiment negative uh, because of what was happening with the yield curve again. And sure enough, once the Fed backstopped every asset class under the sun, and credit markets are slowly thawing, but they're really not going to be perfect until they fix the oil problem. I mean, that's that's the elephant in the room. So, um, so that's banks. Now, the last thing that we do every week is we just any we like to cover estimates by sector. We usually do two sectors a week. When we fall behind, we do four. So we fell behind. We did a bunch of these utilities. Their earnings power estimates for 2020 in the last 60 days have dropped by less than a percent. So they're basically the same. These will all change. No one really knows what earnings are going to be in the short term. But in the long term, um, we'll take a look at them right after this. For next year, they look in still pretty solid. 
gold miners dropped 10, 10% in the last 60 days. Real estate um, dropped 3.5%. These, these are going to come down because many of the retailers aren't going to be able to pay their rent. And that's why the Fed really stepped in to backstop the uh, MBS and ABS securities this week. Those REITs were just going through the floor. And you'll see some of them are up 40 50% in the last two days. Um, the Dow plus top eight weights of the S&P that are not in the Dow. Uh, those 38 stocks were revised down 8% in the last 60 days. Those will come down more. NASDAQ last 60 days. These, again, are 2020 earnings estimates down 10.89. They'll come down more. And as you see, um, FactSet is starting to take them down now. So we're down from, call it 175 a couple weeks ago, down to 165. Next year is still at 180, which, you know, if this thing gets under control in the next four or six weeks, plus you add that two to six billion and the Fed balance sheet expansion liquidity, call it seven billion of uh, stimulus, these this might be low. We'll see. Um, but nonetheless, that's where we are. Hope you found it helpful this week. I know it was really data oriented and packed with facts. That's kind of what I like to look at. Uh, it's beautiful out today. I hope you had a chance to get outside and get some sun. Hopefully the weekend will be equally as beautiful. Uh, keep practicing the guidelines, social distancing and all that. We'll get through this. And so we had a nice week this week. We take it day by day. We'll see how it goes over the weekend and next week. And that's what we're doing for now. So we'll see you back next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for listening in.